welcome everybody to another edition of Downton Gabby Off Season. Tonight we're putting on our dancing shoes and talking about the Star Series Flesh and Bone and having a little nostalgia with Center Stage. We're also going to check in with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and see how we're feeling about that and talk about Good Girls Revolt, which is a pilot on Amazon. I'm Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. And I'm Shannon Bowen in Oakland. I'm Brandi Sperry in Los Angeles. Let's start with some Downton Abbey news. So the season just ended in the UK. I know that all of us in America have, well, at least I are am. completely ignorant of what's going on. <laughs> I would never... So the the season has ended. There's the Christmas special coming up on December 25th. And the U.S. premiere is Sunday, January 3rd at 9 p.m. on the East Coast. And I think the same time on the West Coast. And uh, the local New York uh, public television station, Channel 13, is going to be doing a New Year's marathon starting December 31st at 11 in the morning and going through until 6 p.m. on Sunday. Um, they are going to show all five seasons of Downton Abbey. And oh, my God. Including uh, all those little specials oh where you walk through Highclere Castle and they talk about where to put the forks. and Oh, so the bathroom breaks. The bathroom breaks, <laughs> yeah. Man, if I could, like, time getting the flu with that marathon... Talk about setting the stage for a great year. <laughs> you know, I got sick perfectly at the right time. I'm just going to camp out on my couch and just watch all of Downton Abbey. When I first read this, I thought they were doing a back-to-back marathon. And I thought, this is awesome. I know what I'm doing for New Year's this year. Because mm. I was saying, if you did 40 hours straight, by the time you got to the Miss Bunting episodes, you'd just be like throwing cups of tea at the screen. <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> Uh, you look like Shia LaBeouf watching Transformers 2 at that point. But I need to check their New Year's Eve schedule uh, just to see if uh, I indeed have have my evening set up for me. Well, I can't wait for the season. I know I'm the control group here who has not seen a a little, any bit of it. So I'm really pumped for January 3rd. It's going to be super fun and just really excited to do the podcast and the live tweeting with everyone for our final season. Oh, it's going to be really bittersweet. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in the meantime, we have checked out uh, a new show on Stars, Flesh and Bone, which I have a sneaking suspicion I enjoyed the most. <laughs> so to set the stage a little bit, uh, this is the show from Moira Wally Beckett, who was a producer and writer on Breaking Bad, one of their best writers, I thought. And this is her chance to create her own show. Um, I remember being so excited when I heard about it and then feeling a little apprehensive as stars sort of changed it from from the producer of Breaking Bad to a limited series that we're going to debut in November. You know, I feel like there must have been some kind of behind the scenes stuff going on, which is always a little uh, gives a gives you a little bit of pause before a show premieres. Now, I heard it was just because the story worked better as a contained story, as a series, a mini-series, instead of an ongoing show. Um, also, they are ca- they cast real dancers, and um, I don't think they could have gotten a commitment from all of them to do multiple seasons because they are dancing in companies. 
Hmm. Uh, that sounds like spin to me, the thing about the, the it works better contained, because I think there are things that were clearly not wrapped up. So this is just one season? I, I was watching... It's, the, it's a miniseries, yeah. No kidding. Oh, now I'm, now I'm annoyed. I was, I, because I was giving it a lot of credit for setting up some really interesting things for season two, which it's clearly not doing because there's no season two. All right. Well, let's talk about what you guys thought of the limited series. <laughs> as it was. Um, I enjoyed a lot of aspects of it. I definitely had to recalibrate my expectations when I realized how much of the story was going to be rather than an, an ensemble about this company really following this one protagonist who does the very traditional sort of like first day kind of thing in the pilot and then we learn more about her damage outside and it was really about Claire's world more than just the world of the company in a way I wasn't expecting and in a way that didn't always work for me. Um, Well, let's just talk about how little she spoke throughout the entire show. (laughs) If this whole show is going to be about this main character... Maybe let her say more than three lines. Yeah, it seems very much about her sort of observing the world around her, this big city. Um, you know, there's entire scenes where she's on the phone with someone back home, and you're right, she says nothing. She just, like, cries while they talk at her. And I just think if we had seen her grow a little bit more, a little bit faster, there's some cool payoff stuff in the in the last episode when she kind of comes into her own. Um, but... Overall, like, I want a main character who I'm really gripping onto a little bit more than they let us here. Yes, this is all centered around Claire. And just to give a summary for maybe people that haven't um, watched it, it's about she just kind of shows up at one of these open auditions at American Ballet Theater, not only gets in the company, but she is this star ingenue. And they're going to create this whole new ballet in her honor, and she's going to, you know, take over from the aging prima ballerina, Kira. Um, meanwhile, she's harboring this dark secret and these phone calls, and it's, you know, this very dark relationship with her brother and that builds and builds and builds. And it's really hard to care about the stuff outside of the dance company because all the stuff in the dance company is so compelling. The supporting characters needed more time, I think, because they were really compelling and there wasn't there just wasn't enough time in eight episodes to do that storyline with the protagonist and all the other stuff with the ensemble. Yeah, and I really want to give kudos to the show that Claire's the main character, but then you've got Mia, Daphne, and Kira, who are all extremely dynamic female characters that have a lot of depth, a lot of darkness, um, a lot of conflict. And to have that four really interesting female characters in a show is like... I would even say five really interesting female characters because the uh, the sort of manager of the company um, I thought was really interesting too, even though they gave her... She managed to make me not totally hate my probably least favorite storyline that crops up on shows all the time, which is I can't pay for my kid's private school. (laughs) Which is just like, we have public schools. I will kill you. (laughs) Don't embezzle $35,000. Never embezzle $35,000 to pay for the second grade. (laughs) I really started liking the show in the last two episodes. And when I thought about it, it was because there were these side stories that I 
just was not at all interested in and found such a distraction from what was going on within the dance company. The magical homeless man, her brother, I could have excised both of those like a blackened toenail and just, you know, not missed it at all. The magical homeless guy is just unsalvageable. I mean, I mean, really? What happened in that writer's room? I don't know. What At least the... he was white. Not like when they did that on Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> he was a magical right. black homeless man. Yeah, but then he saves Claire. I mean, it's like the whole point is like she's growing in her strength. And at one point she says, I don't need anybody to save anyone. I save myself. But then the way that the story is written, he saves her from the brother. And that really, to me, was a big misstep. Um, by the creator. I was like, uh-oh, I don't think that was the story you were trying to tell. My feeling on that show is that if if a character wasn't either working for or somehow involved with the dance company, they really didn't need to be there. And and But you like the mobster. He, well, he's involved with the, I love that storyline. You know, the thing with the... And spoilers ahead, everybody. Uh, but I, I love the storyline with the mobster. The fact that there's all this stuff at a strip club initially kind of enraged me because it was just like... It felt like an excuse to show just a procession of boobs in every yeah. single episode. But the way that that storyline developed with him as an anonymous donor and then... Um, sort of how that plays out. And then that scene where he's photographed with the director of the company. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Really so good payoff. That storyline was fantastic and such a good payoff. And of course, stupid me thinking there's a season two thought, wow, <laughs> what an amazing setup for season two, because how is this dance company going to deal with having basically a Russian mobster as their chief patron? And I will say this. I like the strip club stuff of that. You know, we obviously know Claire is very wounded sexually. There's been some abuse. There's some weirdness with the brother. You don't really know what's going on for a long time. So she's like, I'm going to find my sexual empowerment in the strip club, which is stupid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not going to defend that. Thank but you. But then when her and Daphne go and work that um, the private party, party. The party, which was maybe my favorite episode. I just, that episode just chilled me to the bone. I actually like had trouble sleeping after it. Um, and she sees these young girls that are sex slaves and it just, I love that it woke her up of that. This is not a way to feel empowered and this is fucked up and I need to like get back into my body in a different way. But then this is what I love about this show too, is that there's all these great flip sides. And then Daphne says, don't tell me you didn't put those roses in water. That was a great line. And I also think, you know, Daphne's character and where she's coming from, she's able to be doing that stripping and have it actually be an empowering thing from for her because she right. is so much more in control of at least that part of her life than Claire is. But then, you know, the uh, inevitably the storyline goes to a place where it's like, well, but what does a man character think about this? And we have to get this, you know, dude who's entranced by Angel, Claire's yeah. stripping alter ego, oh, even though yeah. he's, she literally doesn't speak to him. She just sits in the, in the champagne oh room and like I, stares at him. It's a really rough scene. It's a really, it's And I was just rough. like this, again, it's a major misstep because we're, we're going away from her agency, her exploration, good or bad, and just letting 
the show meander around wondering what a male character is thinking about what she's doing, which is all the homeless guy does too. And it's just like, I don't want to see any of that. The only time it's even mildly interesting is when that male character is the dance company leader because he actually has a relationship of power with her that is interesting to see how it will play out. Well, that's like with the brother. I just felt like he existed to give some reason for her to be messed up, you know, Mm. as if punishing your body for your whole life to be a ballet dancer for a career that maybe will last 10 years is not going to fuck up your head enough. Right. Which is Kira's character, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that storyline ended really well where he's like, I'm going to give you the gun, but I'm not going to shoot it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I couldn't, I almost threw up watching that last rehearsal because I'm like, her fucking ankle's going to break, her ankle's going to break, her ankle's going to break. And then she gets through it and it's like, thank you, be done, be done. Yeah, and that, that was really compelling and I don't know if they didn't want to do more of that kind of thing about what it really means to be a ballet dancer because it does feel... Like, maybe they think it feels cliche. It's a staple of any kind of sports yeah. story, you know, for sure. I mean, I, I'm just thinking about, uh, you know, the Friday Night Lights movie when the kid is injured and he's just the scene where he realizes his whole life is over because he can't play football anymore. You know, it's the same thing. It's very right. compelling because it's very real and because there are these, you know, that is the short lifespan of an athlete is very compelling storytelling because like any part of any good story has to have a ticking time mm-hmm. you know right i think what this show is trying to say and i think it does say this is to survive professional ballet you need to have the same skill set as someone who is a strong survivor of abuse they are similar traumas and you have to have the same strength of character to survive both and i think that's a pretty bold statement and I think they, I think they're making it. That's yeah, I, I can buy that for sure. I think they could have done it better. I think there were so many elements of how they could have done it better. Um, it, it, it all feels rushed because it's only eight episodes, and half of it is hanging out with a homeless guy. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we all agree. <laughs> Let's talk about Mia because I think she's one of the best parts of the show. Mia reminded me so much. Of Emily Blunt's character and Devil Wears Prada, where she mm. was just stealing scenes for me. Maybe it's because she's also a redhead. I don't know. <laughs> um, starting with her opening line of, I bought this cookie, but I was just planning to stare at it. <laughs> I feel like she really showed ballet dancers food issues in a really interesting new way. I really like Mia as well. I, I thought it was weird that she's the only character that they sort of hypersexualized. That she yes. had several scenes of like full body nudity and fucking guys and you know, it was just she she was so she so stood out of the like she is quote unquote the slut on the show when it's clear that everybody is fucking everybody. But yeah. but she really was sort of playing the slut and and you know, and then she's the one that gets MS and this horrible disease. And you know, that just bothered me a little bit. I didn't read it like that. I felt like she knew... I don't... I mean, I guess now we're getting into, you know, how realistic is the show going to be about a diagnosis of MS, but, like, I felt like her behavior was because she knew that something bad was happening to her, that the that it was a, the opposite order of what you're saying. I think it was because of that whole scene with her mom at the bar that it was just she's, you know, mirroring her mother's behavior. Hmm. 
Well, and that's why I liked her. I liked her storyline because it did go in a lot of different directions. I really liked her storyline in that when she thought there was something wrong with her, it was really nicely sort of underplayed. I'm really glad that we didn't have to have that big dramatic scene where the doctor gives her a speech about her illness and all of that. I love that she, we don't see that at all. She just walks out of the building and orders a fully loaded hot dog. And that basically says everything about... I knew she was dead when I saw that <laughs> hot dog. Chekhov's hot dog. Chekhov's hot dog. <laughs> Chekhov's hot dog. Her relationship with her body and her relationship with her career and her future and everything. I mean, I think that that so much of the show has to do with these women's relationships with their bodies and what they do to mm -hmm. their bodies. And, yeah. you know, sex is part of it, but it's also the way they starve their bodies and the way that they harm themselves and the way they harm other people's bodies. Um, yes. Yeah. It's the, the, the whole show is really obsessed with this relationship. And, and again, I wish that it would have concentrated more on that and, and, mm -hmm. um, her internal struggles with her career and her body and her art instead of having to create these external pressures on her, her brother and her father. And yeah. And that's why I wish we could see the show grow beyond that because I do think like the theme is there. The, even the structure is there. There, um, Shannon sent us a great article that was on Vulture talking about the, the overall structure of the season and how it follows kind of like a fairy tale slash ballet kind of uh, arc. And I can buy all that, and I think it's really well done. I think the acting's good. The dancing's great, although we should have much more of it. I just think the plotting itself wasn't up to par with the other elements and that's a shame because that's the easiest thing to fix in its next season and so there was like all these really great things that i felt like a very female point of view but then these the male characters started to dominate and started to push the plot around instead of the female characters being in control think, of the plot i think that was there from the beginning actually because and it it almost worked for me at first because um, the scene when Claire auditions, you don't yeah. actually see her audition. You yeah. see Paul's face as yeah. he watches her. And I, at first I was like, what the fuck? Like, why are we just watching this guy's face? And then the longer the scene went on and the more you could see the, the just hunger in his eyes that came along as she was succeeding, it, it, I was like, oh, okay, now we, I understand because it is all about him. He does have all the power in this moment. And I think it, the perspective shifts in an effective way to give, as Claire is coming into her own, particularly when we get to those final dance scenes, they're amazing. And her like moment with the glass right before she goes on stage was <laughs> like, this it. is crazy, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I loved it. And I, in the, in the last line of the show is, Phenomenal, because I think the whole storyline with the power struggle between her and Paul within the company, that works. The brother stuff doesn't work, but that whole thing does. I mean, even when they're in tech and she shows up late and he's like, I gave you this opportunity. And she's like, I'm pretty sure you need me. And I was like, damn, girl, because it's true. Like, he's desperate to be yeah. relevant. 
and yeah. he needs her too. And I was so happy that finally some character said that. That character at his best for me was like, this is ballet, I'll swear engine. Yes. Like, yeah. But then as it was worse, it was like, this is a soap opera villain. Thank you for the Al Swearingen call, call out. <laughs> Man. Well, I mean, really, this is the scene um, where he calls in his little fuckboy and he's going to town in his office while he gives a monologue about what he's happening. That is Deadwood season one, Al Swearingen getting a blowjob while he, while he talks about taking over the town and how much he dislikes that new sheriff. Like, yeah, that's the that's same great. scene. I watched the the second half of the last episode I watched multiple times because the um although as I was watching it I was like where's the dancing we need more dancing the payoff when you finally see that new ballet I thought it was wonderful mm-hmm. it's Just 18 wonderful. minutes long it was great yeah I was a little bummed that we didn't get more of the male dancers. I mean, especially with uh, Sasha Rudetsky, who I know we're going to talk about center stage soon, but but I, I feel like he was really underused. I agree. And, He's a uh, good but actor. his abs were used really well in the last episode. So, yeah. He's going to be a legit actor. I hope that's like what he wants to do. He's like really good, I thought. Yeah, I hope well, so too. I sent you guys that interview with him. Um, so him and then the other guy from Center Stage, the bad guy from Center Stage, he actually choreographed everything. <laughs> Cooper. Back. Who names their bad boy Cooper? Cooper Nielsen actually choreographed all of it. Even the stripper scenes. He choreographed everything behind the scenes. His his real name is Ethan Stifle, by the way. He's, Much he's better Cooper name. Cooper Nielsen. <laughs> yeah, Ethan Stifle choreographed all of it, and it's it's great. I, I just wish we saw more of it. I wish there was more dancing. I can even watch them warming up at the bar. That's fine, too. Yeah, so, no, definitely some uh, similarities with Center Stage. The main one being that the bad girl who smokes then gets the lead in the classical ballet piece, <laughs> which I thought was like, come on. The other the other thing that they have in common is that the main character, she's got to get in touch with why she loves to dance and get in touch with her body outside of ballet class. So in center stage, Jody goes to a jazz dance class, and then in Flesh <laughs> and Bone, Claire goes to a strip club. So obviously, in the last We're 15 years... Up. This is things have gotten 11 ballet, okay? Yeah. In the last 15 years, things have gotten much racier, but it's like the same thing that's driving them. I just want to thank the two of you for making me watch Center Stage because I'd never seen it. Oh, don't thank me. I did You're not welcome. like Center Stage back in the day. And I, You're welcome, Therese. You know. Welcome a thousand was, times welcome. Don't was, listen to Brandy. <laughs> I thought it was okay rewatching it. But what? the dancing is really good. I was like, holy shit, there's literally more minutes of dancing in this two-hour movie than there was in the eight-hour show I just watched. Totally. So that was a good payoff. But, I mean, just I just don't care about the main character of Center Stage. She's like Claire Squared, except nothing has ever actually happened to her. We don't know anything about her. They literally say she only got into the company because she's pretty. She literally only gets her big part because she fucked the guy. And I'm supposed to care no, about her she's, glory? She's got, she's got presence. She just doesn't have good feet. She doesn't you know? have presence at all. She doesn't and have presence. Having good feet is what? the whole point. <laughs> I, li- I like her, and I like her dancing, and I like her now on 12 Monkeys on Sci-Fi, and you can't take that from me, Freddie. I felt watching it, I was really struck by how she, as the lead, looks like, you know, this this Midwestern 
healthy white blonde girl and she's milk fed it felt milk fed yeah it felt really dated to me it I don't think that movies look like that anymore I think if that movie was made today I think Zoe Saldana's character of Eva would be at the center of the storyline that is an interesting point right I mean I don't know if they were doing a center stage remake and they could get like Jennifer Lawrence to play the part they might do it but otherwise, it's it is definitely going to be someone more on the Zoe Saldana side of things. Which and yeah, that's a that's a good character. You know, she's well. That was her that was her breakout role. It's a very compelling storyline that she comes into the into the school and she's you know she's the spicy Latino, which I, you know is just really really annoying. But but the fact that she ends up through whatever crazy plot machinations to to be dancing the lead in that ballet um, says a lot about, you know, race and class and all of these things that go totally unexplored in this film. Yeah. I also think it's her character is a lot about, she doesn't want it. She doesn't really want it until she's rehearsing in that studio and the teacher spends time with her. I think that she never saw herself as the kind of person that would get to be a ballerina. And because yeah. of that, she was resisting it. Even when she got into the mm. school, she was still resisting it. That's that's a way to frame it where those two like points kind of meet. The are you working hard enough? Are you conforming hard enough? It's like, have has anyone ever told you that you could actually do this? Well, and that's why I kept thinking so many times in Flesh and Bone how different the story would have been if she wasn't white. I thought about it a lot. Yeah. Like, was it so crazy that she's going to like sweep them away and they all want to build a ballet around her not really yeah and i actually but if it was a, if it was a you know i mean just now um sasha's uh you know charlie slash ross his wife in real life is the first filipino principal dancer at abt yeah i was gonna say and in a world where you know the first ballet dancer most people could name is probably Missy Copeland, then, like, it's a little irresponsible how white that show was. I totally agree. And you know what? It's fiction, so you can cast anyone you want. I mean, but they were trying to be realistic. All prima ballerinas have a magical homeless guy outside their <laughs> <Right>. apartment. <laughs> I mean, thinking about Flesh and Bone, thinking about Center Stage, like, they're definitely taking very different tones, and yet they're ending up using a lot of the same tropes. And I, I do think this this is a powerful world for telling female stories, but at the same time, I also think I don't, I can't think of a ballet show or movie that I've seen that has done justice to the male side of things, because yeah. I do think that they have like their own stuff going on uh, with a gender identity taking uh, part. You know, they have to have been little boys doing ballet to become men who do ballet, right? I totally agree. I think that would be so fascinating, and I would love that. And I'd also like to see a little bit more of the love between ballet dancers. It's so competitive all the time and so catty. Well, by the end of episode eight, I think they'd set up and and resolved a lot of really interesting things. It's just that that should have all happened in five shows, and then they could have, like, done the rest of it in the remaining three. All right, fingers crossed that we get a season two. That would be awesome. More dancing. And they're, um, you know, it is being developed at Fox, uh, Misty Copeland, and um, one of the actresses from uh, Misadventures of an Opera Black Girl are writing um, kind of more center stage-esque 
soapy show for Fox about modern ballet dancers. Yeah, I think that there should definitely be more more dance shows. I'm all for it. And and there's there's room to do the dark and gritty and there's room to do the ones that are a little more like center stage where it is kind of, you know, uh, a scene and a scene and a musical and a scene and a scene and a musical, you know? <laughs> like, so speaking of things that could be a musical structure, we wanted to check back in with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. If you remember on our last podcast, we had seen the first two episodes, uh, loved the pilot, felt a little confused by episode two, and we were sort of in that hopeful place. Um, I think the good news is that now having seen another, I believe, three episodes... I feel good. I'm I'm giving it the thumbs up. How do you guys feel? Loving it. I'm, I'm loving it too. I think it's great. And I think it's succeeding in a format that is really, really challenging. And yeah. somehow they, they just keep uh, pulling out episode after episode and it, and it's really working well for me. Absolutely. I mean, I think they're doing a lot of things right that a lot of shows don't do right. I mean, She's a really flawed main character, really flawed, but they're being very consistent and surprising with the depth of her fucked upness. Mm -hmm. And I think they're really doing it well. And especially in relation to um, how she's interacting with Greg. And at first I was kind of like, I don't know, but it's, it's going really well how they're doing it. Yeah. I think you're so right. I think um, people talk about this with plot a lot where you want the payoffs to be, inevitable yet you didn't see it coming and they don't talk about it so much with character but I think that's what we're getting from Rebecca and it's really really satisfying with each layer that's peeled back to sort of be like oh god and that but not to have it feel like uh like it's just for shock value to have it feel like it really is another layer of what we've already seen I would say the other thing that I think that they're really doing well at that most people just crash and burn at as all their side storylines are killer josh and his uh you know priest bro fest <laughs> what was his name if you had told me after episode two that i would really care this much about josh i really wanted him to get that job at the stereo store like i was like invested on whether he was gonna get that job <laughs> i think it's the, the same way with paula where she could just be this this sort of weird goofy sidekick and in fact she's got a, a very full personality she's got her own stories going on she's got her own conflicts and resolutions going on um she's wonderful and she she really kind of supports Rebecca through her crazy in a way that that's touching actually it works and Paula is a scene stealer I love her yeah I mean even in the last episode where it's like wear this camera and this pin and I'm going to watch it all day. And then every time they kept going to like her like lame Thanksgiving with all these people she hates and she's just like watching Rebecca's day. It just worked for me. It just totally, I, I got it and I loved it. I thought it. that was so funny both on just like a, like a silly joke level with the camera and everything else. And also because... Like, if you're really good friends with someone, sometimes you do get weirdly over-invested in some part of their life. I wish! Like, I wish I could be like, Brandy, you gotta wear this camera today. <laughs> I gotta know what's right? gonna happen. It's that element, it's like the TV heightened element of when you're talking to your friend and you're like, oh my god, promise me that you're gonna call me when you get home and tell me exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly. 
So let's talk about the musical numbers. I, I think they're, I think they're uneven, you know, they can't all be winners, but like the Josh boy band, I thought was brilliant. Oh, yeah. I love the, you know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers settle for me. I yeah. love that one. Which, by the way, they did a quick step in, and quick step's one of the hardest dances, so. I think, surprisingly, the Greg songs have been the best so far because they have been all about the best thing that a musical can do, which is use the songs to tell the inner monologue of a character who would never say that out loud. Whereas Rebecca's songs tend to be playing off of a commentary satirical joke about, you know, the uh, something about... Her being a woman, the, the you know, as much as I love the songs about the unnatural beauty standards, and I, I actually thought this last one about being good with parents and how that's like a superpower was like really funny. With the mom with the cap teeth and the I mean, rings. They oh, are I they it. are really funny, it. but hers are like a little bit more macro. They're they're doing right. this big commentary thing. And his so far have been smaller things about just that character that felt like they were coming from that character, not from the actress, Rachel Blue. And that's why, and I like those ones more. And when her his her boss did his song about, like, being a creepy father <laughs> oh to a daughter, God. it the, was... The shot with the horses, where it's just horses running. It is Die. really funny. But for me, narratively, the ones that are more invested in an emotion and a want that a character has, those are the ones that are working better for me within the context of the show. I don't know. Are you on Team Greg or Team Josh? I'm Greg. Well, Josh just seems a little, you know, simple. Stupid. Yeah, I think <laughs> I'm Team Greg, but I like he, I now that I'm getting more invested in Josh, I'm like, are you and Valencia really right for each other? <laughs> like, <laughs> obviously not. Obviously not. Okay. Do we need like we need another love interest for him, right? Because I won't. We need to mix it up a little bit. I really love what consistently keeps happening, too, is that Rebecca is constantly uh, inappropriately friends with people. Like, <laughs> the homeless woman, the boba tea guys. Oh, like, so I just funny. love that she is just totally oversharing all the time. I love it. It's great. It's really funny. It, it works well, again, within this musical context because it can be a little more over the top. The other element I would love to see come out a, a little bit more because I think... I might be biased because I just think it's so funny that they're set in this like far, far out suburb of Los Angeles. And so and it's not even a suburb. It's just West Covina. Um, the, the image of SoCal and being by the beach when you don't actually live there. To me, yeah. it's like it's very niche, but the small things they've done to reference that have been so on point that I wish they would develop the setting a little bit more. And really, like, right. think about what yeah. she's what she's actually moved to beyond just her small social circle. Yeah, I just think there's not a lot of a sense of place, and it's crazy to think about moving from New York City to just like a, an inland empire place in in California. But let's get serious. Why this show is really good? It's all about Karen and her snake and her tampon <laughs> problems because she is. The best character. That actress ever. I had just seen on an episode of Castle like two weeks ago where she played a character with a hypersensitive sense of smell that helped them solve a mystery. And I was like, you've got the market cornered, girl. <laughs> like... Oh my God. Tampon problems, girl? 
I yeah. could have written anything better. Because you know when you're having a weird tampon problem. You can't talk about it at work. But I love being like, I'm having a weird tampon problem. I have to go home. I, I think that I'm I'm very happy that the show is coming into its own. Because I felt like so torn about not being able to full on love it after just a couple episodes. And now I'm definitely like, I'm really looking forward to that on Monday nights. So, What did you guys think about the Good Girls Revolt pilot on Amazon? Okay, before we state our opinions, let's just say this is another of Amazon's sort of we made a pilot, vote on whether you like it kind of things, which I don't even know how well that strategy is going for them at this point, but... Well, they do know marketing, so... Yeah, and the marketing that they did do looks a little like posters for the Carrie Diaries. Like, I I just don't understand what they're going for here. The premise is that it's based off of a real lawsuit about discrimination against females who wanted to be reporters in the I mean I don't know all the details I'm sure Teresa our magical researcher knows all the details you know it's based on the nonfiction book by Lynn Povich about the women of Newsweek who sued Newsweek because they were not given equal treatment they were treated as researchers and the men were all treated as writers even though women were doing basically the same work as the men. And it was the first big lawsuit, journalism lawsuit for women's equality. And um, it's a it's a really compelling story. And so Amazon has done this fictionalized version of it. But I think it's tough because the, the it's inevitable that you're going to be comparing the set direction and everything about that uh, with Mad Men when you're talking about this time period. And they also got a little ambitious with real historical moments that don't match up if you know anything about the real historical moments. So I I don't know. I liked it, but I and I would love to see a full season just because I think the subject matter is compelling, but I I was a little confused by the choices that were made in the pilot. How did you guys feel? So on one hand, I'm thinking this this is an amazing piece of history that it would be great to explore a little more and, you know, sort of acquaint people with it. But it it does have a weird relationship with with fiction versus nonfiction, because there are some real characters like Nora Ephron. That really threw me off. I was like, wait, Nora Ephron. And I was like, wait, is this supposed to be real or not real? And I, I, I don't know if I like that choice. I think either make it one or the other, and especially that it's not even being used, nor Efron isn't even being used the way that she actually was involved with the magazine. It just seems strange. The pilot is set in 1969, and, you know, they're talking about Altamont in the, so late 1969. Nora Efron had started at Newsweek in 1962, and by the time 1969 rolled around, she had already gone through a five-year gig as a full-blown reporter at The Post. And yet they're depicting her as a as an upstart who quits in a blaze of glory because they won't treat her equally. And I just, it's a little, I understand, like, it's almost proves the point because nobody else is going to know the name of any female reporter from the 60s except for Nora Ephron, right? Well, I just, but, the whole thing felt a little after school special. This is so important, kids. Listen up. And then the thing is, is if you've read Nora Ephron's actual writing about that time in her life, and, um, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of her, so I have, she, this is a direct quote from a piece she wrote uh, about her time at Newsweek in 1962 and how she had 
her uh, exact qualifications educationally and as a man, but she got sent to the mailroom and he got to a reporter. Her exact quote is, it would have never crossed my mind to object or to say you're going to turn out to be wrong about me. It was a given in 1962 that if you were a woman and you wanted to do certain things, you were going to have to be the exception to the rule. I'm like, that's the exact opposite of how she's depicted in the show, right? It was just weird to me. This pilot was just like hitting you over the head with the women's lip. And I'm like, you know, the biggest feminist around. And I was already like, I was rolling my eyes at some of it, you know? I think they could have dialed it back and got a little bit more rooted in character instead of women versus men in the newsroom. Yeah, and I think they're setting up an interesting thing that could be sort of like Peggy and Joan 2.0 with a couple of the women, but I don't I don't want to have to see that architecture so clearly right off the bat. Like, let it breathe. It was so obvious. But look, you guys, I, I have to say that when I saw the Mad Men premiere, I really didn't like it. And I had the exact reaction that you just had about mm. Good Girls Revolt, which is I'm being hit over the head with the racism and the sexism and the anti-Semitism and the drinking and smoking. And yeah, I get it. I get okay. it. And I really felt like that. And it kind of turned me off of Mad Men. And I had to come back to it months later to, to mm. watch it with fresh eyes. And I was watching Good Girls Revolt. And I, I, I basically felt exactly the same way that I was being hit over the head with women's lib and with all the outrage and the unfairness. And, you know, I mean, I did really enjoy Anna Camp's hair. I think that that was a thing of beauty. <laughs> I definitely found myself wondering what Tom and Lorenzo would say about her hair. I want this show to happen just so Tom and Lorenzo can do their weekly like, good girl style. But I want to say that the lead character of Patty is great. She's so charming. She she really captivates you, and I want to follow her. She was good. I wish we didn't have to see her nips so much, yeah. but that's well. fine. I mean, through a sweater, at least, which is a relief after flushing balls. The 70s. People want to wear their nips. Ultima was in December. They're in New York. They need to button up. There are too many uh. boobs on TV. I'm sorry. I'm tired Listen, of it. I don't, don't want to see any more nipples. Therese, too many boobs on TV, Schechter says. <laughs> Listen, we're all pro-boob here. You have to show a lot of boobs to have us be like, no, no, no. <laughs> so... Like, stop fucking this boring dude. Oh, he's so boring. Oh, but but Hunter Parrish, you guys, I have to say that ever since Weeds ended, I've kind of missed him and his beautiful face. I've never seen him before in anything. He was, I was on, just like, oh, he's, he's on Weeds. He was bro. the older son on Weeds. I don't. I've never watched it. Oh, oh he's gorgeous. Oh, he's the older son on Weeds. <laughs> uh-huh. Still boring on the show. So all the men, and I. This is okay. This is interesting. This is how I felt watching it, and it was a female writer, female director. Awesome. However, I felt like the male characters were such characters. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it, it's hard not to feel that way about Jim Belushi. So. Well, yeah, but it was like, I don't know, there's just like an unevenness, and I think, yes, that's why it's a TV show, and there's going to be future episodes. And I really like Patty, I really like Cindy. I don't know how I feel about Nora Ephron. Yeah, and I will say, like, okay, I have, I have a couple thoughts. Number one is, it was created by a woman, um, Dana Calvo, and she's had a couple of, the last show she created was Made in Jersey, which only was, like, a sitcom that was on for, like, four episodes. 
And I was just thinking to myself, wow, I have the exact opposite reaction to a new show by someone whose show was panned and failed, depending on gender. <laughs> like, if it's yeah. a woman, I'm like, you worked hard last time and this is going to be your time, girl. And if it's a guy, I'm like, you talentless hat, go back from whence you came. <laughs> yeah. Stop what? taking all of our chances. <laughs> so I will admit my double standard on that, I, do, I feel that it is uh, fair given other double standards. And I want her show to succeed just because she created it, you know? And then... Well, and Linda Opes is behind it, who is a huge Yeah, who's amazing. And that's actually how I knew about it. And um, she's such a powerhouse. So um, I really wanted to succeed. I just wanted to get away from the rah-rah, I'm not going to wear a bra feminism. Yeah. Just kind of get deeper into character. Because the reason we love Peggy Olsen is not so much for her feminism. It's more that she's a fucking great character to root for. Yes, and I think that's where there is sort of um, a misconception about that character and just about the stories that, you know, 2015 feminists want to see. Like, did I like Suffragette? Yes, I did. Uh, Did I like Mad Men? Of course. And and I want to be able to see period stories about women. I don't want them to always have to be about the fight for equality. And I don't want them to always be showing, oh, well, 40 years ago it was way worse because I feel like then that's the argument people use now to tell us to shut up. Yeah. You know, true. you have it so good. Like, Peggy Olsen would never be able to be sitting here podcasting in her own apartment. <laughs> like, I, I can watch a whole episode about Cindy dealing with her husband and wondering if he poked that hole in her diaphragm. You know, just speaking of suffragette, it makes me feel like the, the period stories... I think are most effective when they tell us something about the time we live in now, frankly. Mm-hmm. And that one of the mm-hmm. things I really liked about Suffragette was that the show dealt with um, wage inequality, sexual harassment in the workplace, um, reproductive health. I mean, all of these issues that are still issues today, that you could watch that mm-hmm. film that took place 100 years ago and really think about the fact that these are still things that we're still talking about and still fighting for. Yeah. But I think ultimately, yeah, for a good girl, good girl's revolt to succeed, it's going to have to have some really good characters and storylines and not just be about women's lib. I love saying women's lib. Um, Women's lib. And it's going to have to push beyond the boundaries a little bit because it has the same problem that Mad Men was rightly criticized for and that we, point out about almost everything we talk about on the show which is it's super white like you know I I I don't know if we have a picture of how many non-white people worked at Newsweek in the 1969 or whatever and I don't really care because your point should be to create compelling characters that reflect something that's worthy about now so, you know, stop worrying about what kind of Aquanet Anna Camp would have used and start, <laughs> like, start worrying about saying something new and saying something that hasn't been said before. I'm absolutely the woman who represented, uh, the lawyer who represented the women in the lawsuit against Newsweek is Eleanor Holmes Norton, who is a black woman who's now a congresswoman in D.C., and you get a little peek of her in the pilot, but I'm hoping that that character... Uh, I need the show to be about her, kind of, you know? Well, it is, I know that she is a main We should do a show so. about her because she's this really incredible, formidable woman. Um, 
but you know, having her having her as part of the storyline is great, and it would be very nice to have other um, people of color in the show. And and maybe they weren't taking front row seats and front row roles in in the lawsuit, but they were there. They exist. Yeah, they are part of the story in one way or another. And that's where Mad Men, I think, really failed for me was you can't say there were no black people in advertising. And just because I mentioned Suffragette, you know, even though I really liked the movie, I think the criticisms of it, criticisms of it on that side of things are super valid as well. And just like, just, we can do better. Does it, does everybody follow um, medieval people of color on Tumblr? This is like an amazing Tumblr where the whole point is just to pull artworks from periods of time where if you see a movie set in that time, like the Crusades or whatever, everyone's white, and just show artwork from that time that shows not everybody was white. It's just amazing. All it is is just like posting all of these paintings and being like, yep, 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 here's another black guy in you know, 16th century Denmark. Like, <laughs> it's so good. So next month, we are going to be talking about Netflix's Jessica Jones, which is about to drop and which sounds like it's going to be amazing. Uh, so we're telling you now so you can watch along and be prepared. And we are also going to do a fun little end of year countdown. We are going to talk about our personal top five female characters in media for 2015. That can be TV, books, movies, video games, whatever counts for you, comic books. Uh, it's going to be hard to choose, actually, which is nice because there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, so we would love it if some of you who are listening would come up with your own lists and tweet them to us. Um, within the next few weeks, and then we'll be able to read them out on the show. I think that'll be really fun to see what everybody's been see what everybody's been watching and really, really digging this year because I think there's so much media out there. It's really hard to keep up with it all, and uh, this is a way to make sure that we're hitting all the bases. And uh, start watching those old Downton seasons now if you're going to try to keep up. Thanks for listening to another episode of Downton Gabby Off Season. You can find us on Twitter at Downton Gabby. You can find us on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com. And you can find us on Facebook at Downton Gabby. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter and keep talking about what you thought of the shows we discussed on this episode. And we will see you again next time. Thanks for listening. You are Say